Welcome to Gone Native. This is Miles Burke. This week I wanted to share with you an article I wrote about the presidential elections in Colombia. The upcoming second round of voting is scheduled to take place this Sunday, June 19th. And for some Americans like me, I know it might sound kind of weird in the first place to even be talking about rounds of voting, but I was surprised and fascinated to discover the system that uh, they have for running elections uh, here in Colombia, which frankly I think we could learn a little bit from uh, in the U.S. Uh, I don't normally write about politics. I try to steer clear of politics in general because it's such a, a fraught topic, um, but I'm so fascinated, not just by the, the electoral system, but by the results of the first round of voting here in Colombia a couple of weeks ago, which, um, I don't know, they basically have a, the Colombian equivalent of Donald Trump standing for election against a very left-wing candidate. So it's Gustavo Petro, who is the uh, very left-wing, super-progressive candidate versus this guy who I hadn't even heard of until I started seeing billboards around Bogota for him a couple weeks before the elections, uh, Rodolfo Hernandez. Um, and he sort of came from nowhere. He is very old. He's 77 years old, which is seven years older than Trump was. I think he was 70 years old when he took office. And he's just, I mean, people call him El Viejo Loco, the crazy old guy. And he's pretty crazy. He said some pretty wild stuff, uh, which I talk about in the article. But he's this sort of third candidate, uh, third party kind of Donald Trump, Ross Perot sort of type. And for anyone who remembers Ross Perot, Ross Perot came out during the 1992 presidential elections, I think, between uh, George Bush, George H.W. Bush, the elder Bush and Bill Clinton. And he was this third third party billionaire candidate, just like Hernandez, Rolfo Hernandez is. Uh, he's a construction magnate uh, here in Colombia. He founded this large construction company. He's estimated uh, around $100 million in net worth. Um, so Ross Perot was kind of like that. I think Ross Perot came out of uh, oil money in Texas. But Ross Perot just started getting on TV and buying primetime TV spots and taking out ads and just saying things like, look, this is how you're getting screwed by the politicians. And I don't know. He, he had a pretty good message, and a lot of people voted for him, but it wasn't enough to to catapult him into the presidency, but it's looking like the Ross Perot of Colombia, Rolfo Fernandez, might actually stand a real chance of winning because so many people are so strongly against um, somebody like Gustavo Petro from the extreme left uh, winning the presidency. As far as I know, there's never been a strongly leftist presidential uh, president-elect in Colombia. Uh, the presidents tend to be more conservative, more right-wing. Um, in Colombia, they call them um, los de siempre, los hombres de siempre, the, the men of always. Um, so a lot of people, I don't know, th there's a lot of reasons why people would want to elect someone like Gustavo Petro, who's, who's promising some pretty hyper-progressive uh, social and economic reforms in the country. But a lot of people are, are pretty concerned by that. And a lot of people are pretty conservative in Colombia in general. So there's a lot of kind of alarm about somebody like Petro winning the presidency. But I'll get more in depth into that in the article. So uh, here it comes. I hope you enjoy. Colombia votes for mayhem. In a surprise first-round election turnout, third-party candidate for president of Colombia, Rodolfo Hernandez, finishes second against perpetual dark horse and leftist darling Gustavo Petro. Two Sundays ago, Colombians took destiny by the reins and threw in their lot with an independent third-party candidate for president, construction magnate and former mayor of Bucaramanga, Rodolfo Hernandez, who came in second place in the first round of election voting. 
In the second round of voting, scheduled to take place June 19th, Hernandez faces off against the frontrunner Gustavo Petro, former member of the leftist M19 rebel movement, now a defunct political party, and one-time mayor of Bogota. Petro is a perennial dark horse candidate, who's returned in both presidential elections in the five years since I began living in Colombia. He represents a kind of reactionary left-wing populism that's insurgent in Latin America, and which is responsible for the recent elections of leaders like Gabriel Boric in Chile, and Pedro Castillo in Peru, or Andres Manuel López Obrador in Mexico, all ardent leftists with radically progressive agendas. Rodolfo Hernández, on the other hand, is a political wild card. The 77-year-old engineer and businessman is often compared to none other than Donald Trump, makes the same sort of wild, outlandish statements that we became accustomed to hearing from the former American president. Pronouncements about Venezuelan migrants such as, they're just a factory for making poor children, or mistaking Albert Einstein for Adolf Hitler, quote, a great American thinker, unquote, are par for the course. He's reminiscent of Ross Perot, who I'm barely old enough to remember, I was about nine years old when Perot was mounting his independent campaign between Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush, as someone whose primary message is how ordinary people are getting screwed by the political class and how they should elect him to help undo that corruption. Hernandez is all over the map, politically and ideologically, making him difficult to pin down under any particular classification of left, right, or center. And he's also prone to staking out bizarre, knee-jerk reactions on various issues. He stated openly that he doesn't think women belong in politics, and that the best role for a woman is doing childcare. However, he also supports gay marriage and abortion rights. He professes to hate all politics, politicians, and political parties, and makes a strong alternative populist appeal to everyone in Colombia who's tired of entrenched polarization, and who are also turned off by the left-wing populism of Gustavo Petro. The underdog candidate scores big in 2022. Nobody expected Hernandez to come out as well as he did in the May 30th round of voting. The second-place candidate up to that point was Federico Fico Gutierrez, the head of a coalition of right-center political parties which came together to oppose Petro's Pacto Histórico, the alliance of left-leaning parties which congealed in order to support Petro in his bid for the presidency. Colombians I've spoken to say that this is the first time that two different coalitions of parties have been formed explicitly to oppose each other's candidates for president, promoted on the basis of fear of the other party winning. Fico's more conservative-leaning coalition, Equipo por Colombia, or Team for Colombia, led their campaign with slogans like, Together we will defeat Petro. Hernandez was not on most people's radar for making any big gains in the first round of voting for president. As I sat and watched the returns come in, I was amazed to watch his numbers grow and grow, eventually overtaking Fico Gutierrez for second place. Gustavo Petro's base of political support has grown enormous in recent years. Due to his progressive populist stance on many issues, as well as his opposition to former president and ultra-conservative political leader Alvo Uribe, and Uribe's Centro Democratico, or Democratic Center Party, Uribe is another polarizing figure, and candidates try to shy away from direct association with him, generally speaking, but his politics were represented, in an implied way, if not explicitly, by the candidacy of Fico Gutierrez. But on May 30th, despite the fervent campaigns of Petro and Fico, many Colombians appear to have decided that enough was enough with political polarization. They turned out to vote en masse for Hernandez, until then an independent underdog. And by the end of the day, Fico had fallen to third place with just 24% of the votes, while Hernandez was in second with 28%, and Petro in first with 40%. Presidential elections in Colombia take place on a runoff system, so if no candidate wins 50% of the vote in the first round, the election goes to a second round of voting between the first and second place candidate. Since there are no other candidates left to oppose Petro, the only option for people who don't want to see him in office is to vote for Hernandez, whose appeal might not otherwise extend to enough people for him to win the presidency. 
but anxiety about Petro and what his hyper-progressive policies might do to Colombia, as well as disgust with entrenched right versus left partisan politics, the expression here is los del siempre, or the men of always, in the country, may drive enough people to turn out to vote for the independent Hernandez, whose nickname is El Ingeniero, or the engineer. Hernandez, Petro, and Populism In Colombia, there's widespread fear about the kind of administration that Gustavo Petro would bring to the country. His record as mayor of Bogota is dismal, and mostly remembered for the garbage collection scandal he engineered in the city, which led to his removal from office. During his tenure, Petro awarded the city waste collection contract to an inexperienced company who, through efficiency, incompetence, and outright corruption, allowed garbage to pile up on sidewalks and street corners all over the city, sometimes for weeks at a time. Mayor Petro was removed from office by referendum following the scandal, and is now in the midst of his second bid to become the country's president. On the surface, many of Petro's proposals seem very reasonable, almost necessary for the world we live in today. He supports equality and diversity of race and gender in the public and private sectors, favors green energy to the extent of weaning Colombia's economy off petroleum, the country's primary export, and wants to decrease economic inequality, checking all the typical progressive boxes for a candidate on the left in 2022. As a result, he's garnered a tremendous base of popular support from Colombia's more liberal-minded population. Petro has also appealed to popular anger against actual and perceived government corruption and injustice in Colombia. Most recently, he's aligned himself with the Primera Línea, or Front Line, a loosely organized group of activists which emerged during the violent protests against proposed tax reform, which took place in 2019 and early 2020. While initially peaceful, the protests got out of hand within the first day, leading to widespread vandalism, looting, and violent confrontations with the ESMAD, or Esquadrón Movil Antidisturbios, or Colombia's riot police, in which several protesters and police officers were killed, hundreds more injured, and millions of dollars worth of public and private property damaged. As with most large-scale protests in Colombia, marching against one issue typically degenerates into mass outrage against the ongoing and widespread socioeconomic problems in the country. Problems which have fueled Colombia's decades-long internal conflict, created more than 7 million internally displaced persons and thousands of desaparecidos, or disappeared people, has led to chronic problems with drug smuggling, human trafficking, forced recruitment into armed groups, and incessant confrontation between the military, paramilitaries, guerrillas, narco-traffickers, and the dizzying array of violent anti-government militias present in Colombia's hinterland since at least the 1970s. Marches and confrontations with police during the Paro Nacional, or National Strike, in 2019 to 2020, led by the Primera Línea, extended into the COVID pandemic, exacerbated by lockdowns and economic woes brought on by the quarantines, which are somewhat draconian in Colombia, although by now have almost entirely ended. My own discomfort with Petro stems from this kind of populist appeal to real and perceived injustice. Historically, leaders who come to power with grand promises of fixing everything that's wrong with the country, giving power back to the people, and providing economic benefits to the poor and dispossessed are rarely sincere. In Latin America, these kinds of populist leaders from the left, right, or anywhere on the political spectrum have led to military dictatorships, ineffective governments, and disastrous socioeconomic outcomes for their populations. Of course, my own country's government, CIA, the State Department, USAID, etc., has had a hand in provoking enough of these disastrous outcomes at the expense of those Latin countries and their people so that the blame can't be leveled solely at local populist politicians themselves. Now, of course, the only other option for president of Colombia, besides Petro, is another populist firebrand. Rodolfo Hernandez, head of the Liga de Gobernantes Anticorrupción, or League of Anti-Corruption Governors, 
founded the construction conglomerate HG Constructores and has estimated his own personal fortune at around 100 million US dollars. His only political experience before running for president was as mayor of Bucaramanga, where he garnered respect for donating his salary to public school and university students, as well as reducing the city's deficit and public debt. However, he's gotten himself in hot water through a few highly publicized conflicts with other public officials, including one in which he was suspended from the mayorship of Bucaramanga for three months after assaulting a city lawyer during a meeting where cameras were present. Recorded conversations have heard him screaming at opponents, calling them hijo de puta, son of a bitch, and using other colorful language not often heard from politicians. Comparisons between Hernandez and Trump are inevitable, not just for the aggressive rhetoric and questionable positions on the issues, but because he represents a kind of third option for people who are sick of establishment politics and the tired left-versus-right paradigm. Rodolfo, at 77, older even than Trump, who took office at age 70, comes from a very traditional conservative background, but also holds some notably progressive positions on a variety of issues. His main political whipping horse is corruption, an evergreen issue in every Latin American country, and garnering populist sentiment by promising to be tough on corruption is an easy way to win votes. It's unfortunate that the two main choices people have for president right now are between a populist who promises to replace the conservative establishment with a progressive one, or a populist who wants to do away with the establishment entirely. Petro's super liberal agenda has a huge number of supporters in the country, especially among the young, urban, and poor population. Rural campesinos and other country and townspeople in Colombia are very socially conservative, even though they might favor more liberal economic policies like land reform and wealth redistribution, making many of them unlikely to vote for a candidate like Petro, who also promises sweeping social reforms. But many people have also suffered for years, even decades, during Colombia's internal conflict, and there's no family in the country which has not been touched by violence in one way or another. Ultra-conservative governments, Marxist guerrillas, military and paramilitary aggression, and the activities of narco-traffickers, cartels, and criminal gangs have ravaged the Colombian countryside for as long as anyone can remember. That history goes too deep to cover in just one article, but suffice to say that people are fed up, making many of them just as likely to come down on the side of uber-progressive Petro as they might for wildcard Hernandez. Will Colombia vote for mayhem on June 19th? It's hard to say exactly what a Rodolfo Hernandez administration in Colombia would look like. Colombia has long been dominated, if not outright, by the liberal and conservative parties of yesteryear, by politicians, parties, and interests clearly aligned with either the political left or right. An independent president with a strong anti-corruption message occupying Casa de Nino, Colombia's White House, would be a refreshing change, if nothing else. Petro is seen by many as being so deeply involved with many of the groups which have been responsible for so much chaos in Colombia that it's hard to believe he wouldn't be representing their interests as well. And Hernandez is such an unpredictable character, much like Trump, that we can be sure of more than a few surprises, for good or ill, during his tenure. His wacky antics have already generated a ton of hilarious memes, so if he wins office, we can look forward to many more. Hernandez represents the same sort of political hand grenade tossed into establishment politics that Trump did in the U.S., at least in the beginning. A vote for Trump in 2016 was a vote for mayhem, for chaos, for an end to the forever wars, and a shakeup of the political system that, for a number of reasons, never came to pass. Many people who turned out to vote for Rodolfo Hernandez on May 30th were no doubt thinking the same way, that establishment politics are failing the people in more ways than we can count, and that some fundamental change is needed. Of course, the proof is in the pudding, and politicians rarely live up to their campaign promises. It remains to be seen if Colombia will swing further to the left and elect Petro, following in the footsteps of other recent Latin American political victories, or if they will embrace uncertainty and put Hernandez into office. 
In a few days, Colombia and the world will have their answer. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that rambling, somewhat uninformed perspective on politics and presidential elections here in Colombia. Uh, I will be posting updates on this uh, following the elections this Sunday, and we'll find out who becomes president of Colombia. Um, so stay tuned to Gone Native for news and updates on this topic and others, as well as more history and context on politics and society in Colombia, and further notes on a gringo perspective of Latin America and beyond. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. You can help me out by subscribing over at Substack. That's gonenative.substack.com. Uh, you can find all these articles and this podcast. You can subscribe uh, over there. You can also find everything on my website, milesburke.net. You can head over to YouTube, youtube.com slash gone native, and check out uh, all of our documentaries, clips, vlogs, uh, all kinds of interesting stuff, especially the documentary, The Chocolate Dream, which I released around the end of last year, which is a pretty fascinating, inspiring story about how uh, rural communities are helping to to transform their opportunities through farming, like cacao farming especially, um, helping to do things like replace coca farming with other crops um, to really kind of turn their, their whole worlds around. Uh, it's not without its own challenges, but it's a pretty fascinating subject, and it's it's a, this great way to kind of do an end run around a lot of the, the drug war and violence trafficking kind of stuff that just causes problems interminably in places like Colombia. Um, so check that out. You can also find us on social media at Gone Native Media. So that's on you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. <clears throat> and um, so I hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time. Saludos.